0: and issue for all women.
1: Hello Jen here. Welcome to today's Sunday Chops. Now, first up, I have to apologize. You were promised two episodes of Sunday Chops today. We were supposed to have the fourth part of our LGBT history month series, which would have been me chatting to kick it out Sarah Train about LGBT representation in football. And it would have been a fantastically interesting discussion, I'm sure. But unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, we've not been able to record that this week. We will endeavour to record that for you and you will get it at some point, but it may not be during the month of February, which is LGBT History Month, so I'm really, really sorry about that. It, unfortunately, it just it it could not be helped, but we will have it for you at some point. However, we do have this episode of Sunday Chops for You, in which I chat to Mariam Khan. Mariam's a writer and activist, and she is the editor of new book. It's not about the burqa: Muslim women on faith, feminism, sexuality, and race. And it is a cracking read. Very, very interesting indeed. So we had a chat about why it's necessary for Muslim women to reclaim their own narrative about the impact of Brexit on hate crime. And, you know, I even managed to squeeze in a bit of a chat about Beyonce. You'll no doubt be completely unsurprised to hear. I usually find a way, don't I? Anyway, please do have a listen. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to make sure you don't miss that forthcoming LGBT History Month special or any of our podcasts, then please do make sure you subscribe and then you don't have to do anything. It literally comes straight to you. Also, this week we'll have a gig cast for you. So that is going to be, as ever, absolutely cracking. So keep your ears peeled for that as well. But for now, here's Mariam and I very much hope that you enjoy. I'm joined on the phone by Mariam Khan, editor of the new book, It's Not About the Burqa, Muslim Women on Faith, Feminism, Sexuality and Race. Mariam, hi, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the book? What is it about, what it covers and, and what inspired it? Because I believe it was a specific
0: event that
1: inspired this
0: the book came about in a very sort of roundabout way. Um, So the thing that sort of sparked it was um, a comment by, Dear Mr. David Cameron, <laughs> our, our, our old um, Prime Minister, it was reported that he said uh, something along the lines of it was due to the traditional submissiveness of Muslim women that young Muslim men were being radicalised. And that sort of stayed with me for a really long time. And then I remember a friend of mine, Nikesh Shukla, who is the editor of The Good Immigrant, I was speaking to him and I was saying, if I could write a book or put a collection of essays together, much like he had, um, it would be a collection of essays by Muslim women rewriting the narrative that had been sort of placed around us and sort of decentering those who weren't Muslim women and putting ourselves in that centre. I
1: mean, it's, it's, it's a strange logic. I, I, I'm not sure I understand um, dear, <laughs> dear Mr Cameron's logic. But anyway, quite aside from that, the idea that Muslim women are more submissive, that is mm-hmm. one that is, I would say, probably quite widely held. Yeah, so um, like you
0: said earlier, the book... I think this book is going to be, um, or I hope this book is going to be an incredible part in sort of um, recreating that narrative of Muslim women being submissive. Because I think what we have or what we've been exposed to to, through media and politics and culture um, about Muslim women is that we're submissive and we constantly see this one sort of image of Muslim women in a burqa or in a hijab or a Muslim woman being told what to do or being uneducated and unfortunately what we don't have is um, we don't have a portrayal of the diversity of Muslim women that actually are out there day to day living their lives creating huge amounts of difference you know being scientists and, and mathematicians working in the arts and you know making contributions to society we don't see those Muslim women and you could argue you know I'm a cynic but I would say that it's the reason I think that that is is because it's in someone's benefit not to see Muslim women as empowered and um, women who uh, know what they're doing and are in charge of their own decisions and have autonomy. And so I think it serves a purpose to see Muslim women as traditionally submissive um, for those who've sort of perpetuated that narrative around us. Who do you think benefits from that and, and why do they benefit from it? I think that the wider sort of society and sort of you know in David Cameron's case uh, and you know for his policies I would say uh, sort of politics and media and so generally everyone but Muslim women benefits (laughs) from that Um, so you know those would be the types of people who who are creating it, and those who are you know basically in power and have the platforms to tell their narratives and then you know also have the platform to tell narratives of others Um, and so it's it's not in any benefit to Muslim women Um, and it's really unfair that some someone's telling my story and I can't even relate to my own story so I hope that this book is something you know in achieving me reclaiming or well, not just me obviously because the book is a collection of essays um, by different Muslim women the book is not a reflection of all Muslim women that's one thing I adamantly want to get across it's not possible for me or for anyone, to create a book or a piece of art or a play or for a single Muslim woman to represent all Muslim women. I think the whole point of this book is to represent the diversity and the identity of Muslim women. And that's something that has been sorely lacking in all types of representation of Muslim women within the Western sphere, I believe. Um, so, yeah, that's something I... I I want to stress so much to everyone that this book and these essays and these opinions and these women and the conversations they've started are all unfinished. And, Mm. you know, they're they're very welcome for everyone to have a conversation around. That's the point of this book is.
1: So feminists talk a lot about the idea of the male gaze, like the portrayal of women or an explanation of our experience, which is is perpetuated by men. Men don't know what our experience is, obviously. In the introduction of the book, you talk about the experience of seeing Muslim women portrayed by the white gaze.
0: Can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, so it's kind of this idea of, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the phrase of othering, of there being a centre and that centre is um, occupied by the white middle class or, you know, white people and them being the centre of the whole universe. <laughs> and then everyone else being around that centre. Mm. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, talking about how I wanted to sort of de the narrative around Muslim women, I, I wanted us to be in that centre and I wanted to take away those who had been creating our narrative and are not Muslim women away from it and to sort of say this is where we've established ourselves. This is where we're going to start the conversations from. This is us Muslim women talking about our narratives, our identity, um, about race, about sexuality, and starting from there. And the so White Gaze for me is very much that idea of the othering, about everything I do as a Muslim woman being filtered through um, a certain gaze that others me and then alienates every decision
1: I make. Last year, we saw the release of Slay in Your Lane. I'm sure you'll be aware of that. It's um, Mm. The Black Girl Bible by Yomi Adekaki and Liz Yuva Benene, who I actually interviewed last year and they were excellent. Obviously, it's been a huge success and perhaps a bit more so than expected. And it shows there's a, a massive market out there and obviously how poorly catered for that market currently is. Do you hope that this will have a sort of similar impact within the community of muslim women i definitely would
0: love to achieve any an inch of that success i mean to be honest me, who wouldn't that is a bit of a I mean, question. yeah like really <laughs> but, um but uh, i mean for me it, very much so like i never intended to create a, a non-fiction adult book on this like I said it was a thought in my mind something that I was frustrated with Mm. um, about something that someone had said and I thought how dare someone who represents me on a national and international platform think that of me when I don't see myself to be that way and so yes like I said I would love for this book to you know spark conversation and bring debate and be someone's comfort even if someone's uncomfortable with it, I'd rather they speak up and say, well, hang on, I, I don't think it should be this way. And then at least the narrative is widening than what we see, than that Muslim women are traditionally submissive narrative that we're, that's con- constantly perpetuated to us through many sort of ideas that we're constantly hit with in our day-to-day, through our phones, through social media, through media in itself. At the
1: moment, nationally, We're in a right old pickle, Brexit, and all of this is just. I hadn't
0: noticed.
1: I do not. Um, (laughs) uh, I I wish I could not notice, but obviously we're. It's a very funny time. I think, in, mm. in the history of Britain, the things that are being talked about, the issues that have been raised by this.
0: I think that what you're talking about is racism and animosity and hatred. Absolutely. And I don't think that, that necessarily has been revealed because I think that's always existed under the fabric of the British history. If you look at our history, it's not one to be incredibly... Proud of, uh, and and I would say that uh, everything that Brexit has thrown up, do, you know, it hasn't just suddenly come up because no, Brexit's happening. I think that that's been there in the fabric of you know, the British identity, and Brexit is just sort of a catalyst, uh, you know, bringing back and hiccuping on issues that haven't been dealt with properly in society. And for Muslim women, I think it's going to be, you know, a tumultuous time for everyone in the UK, but I would say those for within sort of minorities, or like I mentioned, anyone who's, you know, outside of the centre, you know, everyone who's an other it's going to be an even more difficult time in regards to you know Islamophobia and Islamophobic attacks and like racist attacks. And
1: well, because we've and, seen a huge surge in hate crime, yeah, and, and a lot of and, that has been towards Muslim women, of course.
0: I don't mean to uh, minimize anyone else's pain or. Or what they go through but I would say that for me as a visible Muslim woman I think that it's quite a burden as well in these times for me I wear I, when I wear hijab I wear it for myself and for a lot of people they see you know my hijab as you know unpatriotic or like I'm rebelling against them in some way or I'm not a part of them it's this visible sign of for them othering and and it puts a lot of muslim women in a very visible i guess easier to target and that is a worry of mine and i know that's a worry of a lot of people a lot of muslim women that i've spoken to especially with the way society is going um, and as you say in in the rise of hate crime and not just physical mm. attacks it's verbal attacks as well um verbal attacks are you know just as i mean there's there's obviously
1: as, there is a trauma so, attached to to eva
0: Yeah, there is. And I would hope that this book can... It's a really interesting time for this book to come out because I feel like we're asking a lot of people who may have their minds made up about who Muslim women are to expand their view on on that. And with Brexit... But I think that it's a it's a really good time that this book is coming out, and it's a necessary time for Muslim women to be speaking out, and it's about time that we're heard. And I don't think if we're waiting for a yeah. right time that ever is going to be one. So why not just you know we're bring it all out about
1: with pr- <laughs> visibility? That's also part of this white gaze that you're talking about. We've seen a few more visible Muslim, I would say men, predominantly in the public eye. I'm going to I'm going to go to Riz Ahmed for example, who has spoken very openly about, for example, being typecast and things like that. And we've seen, we've seen more Muslim men in roles that aren't even about them being Muslims. (laughs) But that doesn't really seem to be changing as much for Muslim women. Do you think that Muslim women are becoming more visible in popular culture for reasons other than being
0: Muslim? (laughs) No, <laughs> I'm going to put it very shortly, no. And and I think for me, that's why this book exists, because I want first people to acknowledge that, hang on a second, there is more to the Muslim woman, you know, Muslim female identity than a hijab. And I feel like for women, there are roles that people have created in their minds. And this mm. is, is across all women. And when women tend to fall outside of those roles, um, everyone yeah. starts freaking out. Yeah a lot and um (laughs) and i feel like this is what people are going to do with this book not just you know we've talked about you know the white gaze and we're talking about that side of things but i mean from within the community when people read this book they're going to be like oh yeah hang on there's women like that too and i think the great thing about this book is that it's not one-sided or the other side. It's not, yeah, white people won't let us do this or won't let us have our narrative or, um, you know white women have dominated feminism or it's also saying to the community Mm. you need to stand up and let women in the community have a voice and a space and it's also saying to them hang on the way you sometimes deal with women in regards to marriage or divorce isn't right and it's cultural and that's not how it is in Islam and it's holding everyone accountable and that was one of the things as the editor for this book that I wanted to do I didn't want to give anyone a free pass I wanted to hold every single person and peoples and groups Mm -hmm. and communities accountable um, for the way they had treated Muslim women thus far and I really hope that comes across and I know (laughs) that I haven't made or it's possible that I won't make many friends that way but if it means people are held accountable and there's a mirror up to you know held up to their behaviours and they're able to have a conversation from there then I'm fine with that
1: hey Birmingham get you looking all capital of the Midlands and we will be in you on March the 24th for a cracking event at the Town Hall as part of Podfest Birmingham where we're joined by Jess Phillips MP, Beverly Knight and the boss Sarah Millican. More info and indeed tickets can be found at sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue but you better be sharpish as they are selling damn fast. In the first essay by Mona El Tahawi, she talks about this idea of being between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And the <sighs> the the rock is is the white society basically and the hard place is Muslim men.
0: Yeah. I would say Western society as well. Like, I guess we've been saying white society, Mm -hmm. but Western society, because it's not necessarily, you know, white people just on their own. Um, It's the Western society. I know, I just
1: think it's all about me (laughs) because I'm white, so
0: you know. Um, But yeah, you're right. And and I I don't know if you follow Mona's, like, activism and her work um, and her writing, but honestly, that woman has to deal with so much hatred and threats and absolute garbage from men online. And she says something in her essay or from a conversation I've had. It's either happened in my head or happened in her essay. (laughs) I can't remember the editing process. But she talks about how she's often always ahead of the community. and And then the community catches up and like, oh, I understand now. And then she's ahead again. So the community is hating on her. And then, you know, the community doesn't understand. So they're hating on her again. And then they catch up and then she's ahead again. And it's this idea of, her sort of bringing a sense of understanding and enlightenment I guess to say hang on let's understand this and her essay specifically it really struck me because it's so true that women are very rarely listened to and then when we are listened to and if we swear the only thing that's listened to is our profanities and it's no, it's it's that ab- absurd thing of if you're listening, why are you only hearing those words when you can hear the rest of the sentence but you're not acknowledging what we're saying? Mm. And it's about those people in power only allowing certain things to be heard and then trying to control them. And I think her essay's so fantastic for saying, No, Uh, this is my way and I'm going to do it this way and you're going to have to listen and I really don't care whether you like the way I say the things that I do which is basically how I went in the mindset of with this book.
1: So you cover a lot of topics in the book you talk about feminism about clothes about representation about sexuality what would a book like this have meant to you as a younger Muslim woman growing up? So
0: much honestly if I had had this book when I was young I would have been so I mean obviously I I can't say exactly what it was because it's not happened but I honestly feel like I would have been empowered because knowledge is power and I've always believed in that and I'm a real believer in like learning and like not passively like actually putting an effort in and understanding and when someone says something you know acknowledging and then going to do your own research and for me a book like this would have told me that there was a space for me and I can create the spaces and the identity around me and that I'm allowed a space within Islam and I'm allowed a space within sort of the Western sphere and that there is a sort of diversity in the way Muslim women are and that we all don't have to be the same. And I think those are some very like key foundational parts of your identity as you're growing up Mm -hmm. and to not be able to sort of establish them until... I don't know in in your early 20s or late 20s it's just such a shame and I feel like we're doing such a disservice to to the Muslim women of the future that books like this have not existed like in my essay I talk about how the first time I happened upon feminism you know in its sort of taught form was at university and then the sort of the first time You know, I realised Catelyn Moran was sort of this figurehead of feminism. And then, you know, she made a comment in an interview about how she didn't really care about the representation of people of colour. So she was asked on Twitter, basically, if she discussed the lack of people of colour in the hbo tv series girls with lena dunham Mm. and she she tweeted back to someone and said no i literally couldn't give a shit about it and and then that sort of for me that was a real big setback because yes there was this fantastic woman and you know she was representing me as a as a woman as a female but then she didn't really care about the other sort of intersections of my identity for me i've never really felt truly represented by people like well, that's her that's a bit yeah. of a
1: kick in the tits isn't it if someone is presented to you as this is like the the poster girl for feminism or whatever yeah. and then it's like oh but actually you don't represent me
0: yeah it is yeah, no... <sighs> And the thing is, I, I actually, I remember in university trying to sort of rationalise what she'd said. I guess for someone who feels represented enough for herself as a white woman within this space, she doesn't feel the need to sort of, you know, make sure that other women who aren't just white, with women with other intersections are represented. Feminism is about every woman and every, every woman's voice and all her intersections included and yes we're going to have differences of opinions and practices but my constant frustration with feminism as i i am a feminist but as i've grown into it is this idea that there's this dominant form of feminism this sort of white feminism this mainstream feminism and it comes around again and again in constant conversations around muslim women and their dress choice and it's this idea of well you're more covered so you're obviously more oppressed and we're less covered and I really couldn't give a shit about how covered or uncovered someone is, but this is just an example, then we're more freed. And it's that thinking of, well, freeing is this, this is our thinking. So it's, you know, it's on a different hierarchy and we're better than you and we understand and we have, and it's again, that othering, that colonized thinking that, you know, of root issues that haven't been discussed from our history, um, that are bringing things like this back to the surface and perpetuating like spaces that are meant to be for all women but actually they're not for all women they're for certain types of women if that makes sense
1: i think it does absolutely i think it is um i mean i don't want to defend this is quite (laughs) embarrassing for me actually to admit this because um i like to think i'm fairly progressive and whatever but um (laughs) i (laughs) this is so embarrassing (laughs) i am a like massive beyonce fan right yeah, and I remember watching yeah. the video for Formation, and there's mm. no white people in it, apart from mm. the police who are, you know, ostensibly, baddies in in the context of the video for Formation. And I remember watching mm. it and having a pang of, oh, oh, maybe Beyoncé <laughs> doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> like... <laughs> because I couldn't uh, see myself in it so this yeah. was the moment and yeah. again like I did I say this and I'm a bit embarrassed about it and I should be embarrassed about it but this was the moment it occurred to yeah. me yeah yeah hang on yeah for non-white people yeah this is
0: all day every day forever yeah. Yeah, and I actually think that it's very—I think it's fantastic that you're able to say that, and you're able to have like the self-awareness to acknowledge that. That for me, if anyone can get to that point, I think it's fine. We're we're going uphill. It's just that lack of self-awareness because so many people within the West, within the mainstream, so white women who you know are feminists and you know do all this feminist work because they're so in the center as women they don't recognize the intersections or those who are on the fringes of that identity um and then because of that our narratives sort of get trod on you know that feeling that you had a lot of you know a lot of people of color but muslim women as you said i got asked a question about who my um muslim female role model was the other day and Honestly, like growing up, and I honestly couldn't think of one, that one Muslim woman other than my mother, Mm. that I was like, yeah, that's my role model. That's her. I couldn't think of one because there wasn't ever really anyone there, if that makes sense.
1: We talk about this a lot on Standard Issue. We do live shows. And one of the questions we have is, who is your career role Mm. model or, or whatever? And I remember having a conversation with a guy once about like, you know, who do you look up to? Who do you aspire to be like? And I find it really hard a lot of the time to think of women mm, full stop mm, yeah so again it's that sort of added layer of bullshit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know like <laughs> I do think white women think, need, yeah, to, do need to do better
0: and I think that it's so interesting that you mentioned Beyonce because Beyonce has worked so hard to get into that position of power and there's very few mm. black women and women of color who've made spaces for themselves on the global platform and who are who have like you know powerful influences but look at what they've had to sacrifice to be there just to have like that mm. fractional amount of power and then even then they're having to contend like you many people won't look at it how you did with the self-awareness of oh hang on this is how people of color must feel they'll feel very attacked like why am i not in this and this is reverse racism and all of those sorts of things so i think that the fact that you had the ability to be self-aware for me honestly that's a win (laughs) hi hannah here just so as you know we've got a load of great interviews coming your way in the coming weeks and months I went up to the part Frozen North to meet writer Lisa Holdsworth to talk about the complicated life and early death of playwright Andrea Dunbar. Jen met the brilliant Jessica Hines to chat about her new film, The Fight. And all three of us went to the set of HBO's Gentleman Jack, I Shit You Not, and grabbed some time with its creator and director, Sally Wainwright. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on any of these chats with brilliant women, please subscribe, either on Acast or iTunes.
1: Again, you covered loads and loads of different subjects in the book. Mm. What was the most interesting thing that you read in the various essays? Did you learn anything new? Yes,
0: I did. I think every essay for me in this book was a learning experience. I remember when I started this book and I had a conversation with, again my mentor and friend nikesh and i was worried about creating a book that basically was an extension of this is what mariam thinks muslim women should be and their identity should be and you know this is what diversity of muslim women should look like i was really worried about creating a book that didn't challenge me myself in the first instance and nikesh said to me if you're going to think of it that way that you have to agree with every single thing not that i disagree with anything in the book but there are nuances their conversations that I've had through the editorial experience and I've had to sort of say to myself okay how am I taking this in and what are my thoughts on these things and I think the really interesting conversations for me fall around identity and how we see ourselves and then how others see us and then how our identities are used through representation um, in media and especially in like how businesses use our identities and then how when Muslim women get to a certain stage our identities are important but our opinions aren't and sort of addressed in Nafisa's essay And I think her essay is fantastic. And she gives certain examples that she, essentially the crux of her essay being that she made me sort of aware of the idea of being represented, but then not having the terms to have opinions against that representation and like platforms and businesses only really wanting you because you look like a Muslim, not because you have Mm. opinions as a woman and as a Muslim, which I thought was really important because on the one hand you could look at like being involved in, in commerce in media and think oh my god that's progress because you know 10 years ago I never would have seen a hijabi Muslim woman in a TV ad or in a in a a music video but then you look at the value of that representation and the progress it's creating or not creating and then you think okay hang on so I think for me that was a really interesting discovery to sort of someone to look at it on that sort of sidewards and for me to sort of then have that conversation around valuable representation. Marim,
1: your book It's Not About the Burka is published on the 21st of February and I assume it is available online and indeed in all good bookstores
0: where can we
1: follow you on social media
0: i exist on twitter and instagram as um, at hello i am mariam very simple and you can follow all my rantings there
1: (laughs) thank you so much for talking to us thank you
0: for having me at issue-for all women.